I've noticed the fans on the Dev One aren't as like jumpy since this new install. Just putting that out there. Isn't that nice? Even is what you're saying. Even Keevan, is that? Yeah, more smooth. Not, but not even Steven. Smooth is because you know Steven turned out to be an asshole. Even Keevan, that's what you want. Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hello, gentlemen, and good morning to our friends over at Tailscale. Tailscale is a mesh VPN protected by WireGuard. We love it. It's going to change your networking game. Go say good morning and try it for free up to 20 devices at tailscale.com. Coming up on the show today, we're going to complete our hero's journey and return to the village where our story begun one year ago, Brent's hometown of OpenSUSE. Yes? It's been just over a year since we visited the Lizards. Hard to believe. I know. We've been on quite the journey since then. All of us have grown. We've made discoveries, and we're going to share them on today's episode. Been a little unfaithful. (sighs) We'll have details on that. Plus, a small update on my Graphene OS Switch and one massive update on somebody else's. We'll get to that. And then we'll round it out with some boosts, some feedback, and more. So before I go any further, let's say time-appropriate greetings. To our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello. Hello, Hello guys. guys. Hi. Hello, wow. That's a powerful showing right there. I feel the energy from here. <laughs> Hi. Thanks for being here. Um, I want to mention right off the top because we're getting so down to the wire. It's time to go vote on the Tuxies, y'all. It is nomination survey time. It was, actually, stop party. it was actually time to vote last week, but we weren't ready for that yet. So yeah, yeah. now it's especially time. We, we wanted to get this out in October because we're recording very soon. So go take the survey. It's not very long. And help us pick the best open source desktops, distros, projects, hardware, etc. Tuxies.party. We're going to have that soon because the holiday pre-records... Well, after we get done recording this episode today, Wes, Brent, and I are going to schedule them. So they're coming up really soon, maybe even as early as next weekend. So check jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar because the Tuxies will be in there along with our annual predictions, uh, review, and new predictions for 2023. And we always love getting the mumble room and the uh, Matrix Chats predictions in there as well and the boosters. So watch that calendar because it's all coming up really soon. Also, uh, just as we're getting to now the end of the year, I don't normally. I'm not a numbers guy. In fact, I've worked with people who've thought it was annoying how little I cared about the numbers. Maybe I've, maybe I've undercared. I, maybe I should have cared a little more sometimes. But doing this a while, you just get a sense of when things are going well and when things aren't going very well. And so I just haven't really needed to check Lep's numbers because, you know, according to my metrics, everything's going well. But I got curious recently because we've been getting a lot of notes into the show about first-time listener, new listener, that kind of stuff at a higher clip than normal. Yeah. I wanted to go look, kind of see where we're at. And it, it blew me away. The numbers the show's getting now are numbers that I, I would classify them as life goals. You know, maybe if, you know, if we were trying to do a different thing now, you know, if we weren't focusing more on value for value and memberships, you know, maybe we'd be going out there and selling those numbers to people, but we don't have to do that. But it was really, uh, you know, it was really, um, I don't know. It's just awesome to be onboarding so many new people while they're on their Linux journey. So welcome onto the show, everybody. Reach out at linuxunplugged.com slash contact or send a boost into the show and let us know how your journey's going, where you're at. 
if you're a new listener, we'd like to hear from you. Yeah, maybe join the Matrix. It's really awesome. And I think there's there's probably several reasons why the numbers are up. But I think part of it is because consistently our audience in the new podcast apps has been have been keeping us at the top of the Fountain FM charts. Fountain is seeing a good clip in user adoption right now. And we spent uh, this last week in like the top seven. Then we got up to like the top two and the top three-ish range. And then our ballers came in and put us over and we got into spot one. And every time we're in that top range, we end up onboarding new people. And so I just want to start the show today by saying thank you to Pi, who sent in a row of ginormous king ducks, 222,222 sats. And what I love about this is a lot of times these are our long timers, right? It's our long timers that are coming in and supporting the show. And we are getting high signal on charts that that measure engagement and value, not ones that engage, that measure downloads and clicks, right? So it's a real high signal. And he says, Pi writes, long-time listener, first-time booster. I just wanted to thank you with a beer. I was in Seattle recently from the UK, but I failed miserably to buy you a beer in person. Oh. Hey, don't worry about it, though. As long as you had a good time out here in the Pacific that's Northwest, true. that's a success. Yeah, you know, I think there was a couple people that were in town while we were on the road trip. It always happens that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. hey, bye. Let us know if you yeah. if you make it back this way. Yeah. Uh, on the note on the note of pronunciations over the years of listening to Chris confidently pronounce things questionably has given <laughs> someone like myself with dyslexia confidence in my professional career. My sats are to vote as Jif to be pronounced as Dave. You know, I can say Dave. <laughs> yeah, Dave. All right. You know what? You're gonna read it really smoothly. And I feel like a I feel like a Dave file. That's a great. That's great. I I think a Dave file is a great idea. I'm gonna need someone to to send a Dave to us about yeah. Dave, like a, a yeah. referencing a Dave. Yeah. Are, are you sure it's mm-hmm. not Dave? <laughs> Don't you start, you bastard! <laughs> yeah. Pi followed up with fifty thousand sats just to say congratulations because they went back and checked uh, the top fountain list and saw that we were on the top of the list. And it was Pi; it was your boost that put us over the top. So thank you. Value for value for value at this point. Tech Geek came in with one hundred twenty-seven thousand and one sats. Hey, Chris and Jupiter team. Uh, Tech Geek here, or Edward. I told you I'd boost in soon, so how about this? Did you guys see the Artemis launch? It was glorious. Not only was the launch glorious, but this morning as we were prepping the show, we also watched the automated landing, too. Yeah. Boy, what a thing to watch. First vessel made by man designed to carry man to go that far away from the Earth. It's possible aliens have done it before, but first ones humans have made, so that's really exciting. And they're building towards now sending humans up there. You know, as of right now, the thing doesn't even have life support systems. Yeah. There's more tests on that to come. <laughs> yeah. I will yeah. say on my drive up to the studio, I was sorely missing. Like, I was just thinking if I had a couple solid rocket boosters, this would have gone a little bit faster. Yeah, you just got to go up and then down. So much easier. It's that down part you got to figure out. Uh, Tech Geek writes, in regards to Fedora 37, I believe someone mentioned in a previous episode that there should be a branch of it. You know, kind of like a fork. I completely agree. I love Fedora and I've been using it since the early years. But I haven't upgraded from 36 yet, and I'd be favoring a fork or a branch. Really, I just miss Corora Linux. Oh, yeah. I had uh, kind of forgotten about old Corora. Well, Corora kind of faded in ne- in being necessary when it became easy to get the codecs in the NVIDIA driver. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Just to round it out, Soltros came in. Uh, hey, Chris, Wes, and Brent. I've been listening since Dubstep Allen. I thought it was finally time to get a membership. Also tossing you 100,000 sats. So that way KDE is rightfully pronounced as K-D-E. And OpenSUSE is right, rightfully pronounced as OpenSUSE. 
Thanks again for being part of my life since 2011. Derek. I think we used to call it Open Susie. We may have done that. I hate you both. We may have done that. I think that's Susie. Susie or Susie? It's Susa. <laughs> or is it Susan? Oh my gosh, why? Uh, open Susan, though, is so good. I, I feel like we're going to create major issues for ourselves here. We're going to need a whole... Yeah. No, we're going to have to set guide rails on this, clearly. We got to. <laughs> it's, it's too much. It's too much. Because, you know, like, oh, you know there's a wing of our audience who just gets triggered by mis- mispronunciations oh, to sure. begin with. So Some of this has been, honestly, having a little fun at them. And some of it's about exposing this issue that's in our industry and having some fun with uh, that. And then, you know, people throwing in some sats. Well, maybe we need a Dave that just goes through them all to remind us, you know, before the show, we can just watch it. Yeah, Dave flash card system would be great. Gerald boosted in with 100,000 sats to say, great show, thanks. And Penguin Stargazer boosted in with 74,205 sats. He boosted in recently, too, said, you asked about when was my first episode. It was LUP 473. Now, I'm curious what you guys are doing with that Arc GPU that was mentioned on the show back. This is what I want to talk about. Particularly interested in the AV1 encoder. I purchased an A750 recently. I'm thinking about building it in my editing and workstation machine at some point. Mm. So our ARC video card is right here because we're probably, most likely, in theory, going to deploy the Thaleo in like the post-holiday weeks. Mostly giving it a... Uh, we're trying to extend this to then so that we can do it during some downtime. But also, the state of the drivers isn't amazing, right? And so if we can give a couple of kernels well, minor releases even, to get the driver in a better state. Um, like, they just introduced something just a couple of days ago last week. That kind of stuff. So I'm sort of trying to time that just right. But we will hopefully, towards, uh, you know, I don't know, early, mid-January, have it in the Thaleo. We're getting excited. We're have it up and running. Yeah. Yeah. We're probably going to see the Arc GPU be properly supported um, with Linux 6.2. So that's going to roll out, what, February-ish, I think. Okay, so we'll be right before it's easy to use it. And so if we would just wait like another month, we could have an easy time. But of course, we're not going to wait that month. That's not as fun. Um, and our last baller boost. This is fantastic, everybody. Thank you so much. 60,000 sats from Jared. Jared from the Geocache fame said, I finally figured out how to boost into the show. And I just want to say thanks for the Geocache adventures. Oh, well, thank you. We'll have more on the Geocache stuff next year as well, because I think. Uh, we, have, we have a good idea of what we want to do, but then it just didn't really make sense to do it in the middle of winter when we have other stuff we're doing anyways. So it'll probably be a spring project, and then we'll get a community geocache effort. I'd love to get out there. If that became big enough where I could go out and get some exercise and do some geocache searching. Well, Chris, there's a geocache hidden on a, a now shut down mountain pass near you that you can go try. That to would be fun. <laughs> if we had snowmobiles. Or snowshoes. You, know, like you, got, you got snowmobiles anywhere? I do have snowshoes. Really? Yeah, oh yeah. Why do you have snowshoes? <laughs> well, we live next to mountains. Yeah, okay. Just seems like the thing you'd rent, I guess, but I I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, okay, snowmobiles. Snowmobiles, then we could go up there and Calm we could down. get... Yeah, that would be such a fun day. Me, Brent, meet us there? Yeah, so the sure. issue is the roads are closed off to where the the, uh, the geocache is. So if you can park near there and there are ways to get up and around the gates with snowmobiles. So... Just saying that'd be pretty cool. We had some real good support last week, and um, I really, really just thank you, everybody. It's again life goals, right? Like I feel like I don't know. There's something really, something really powerful happening here for the show, and I'm really, really grateful. And part of it really started off because Guy Swan over at Bitcoin Audible gave us a, a call out trying to beat us, and you guys, you guys Ugh. trounced him so hard Ugh. that he had to mention it again on the show. Subscribe, boost on Fountain. 
Try to get try to get those numbers up, baby. Linux unplugged. I I swear, I swear. I'm I've I we have we're gonna have words, sirs. We're gonna have words. They took advantage of the fact that I made it known, and we're mm, it's happening. Okay, Uh, (laughs) we're closing out today. I thank you guys so much for listening. Subscribe. I'll catch you on the next one. And until then, everybody, take it easy, guys. There's something kind of great about this, right? It's kind of great about it's it. Fun. We love you, guy. It's just good fun. It is. It is. But guy, you see that it's it's in my estimation, it's more important that a non-Bitcoin focused show sit there, right there at the top. Plus, it's a great kind of crossover with that community, and we can help them become just self-sovereign individuals in general, not with just their money, but also with their data and their software. And that's what this show is about. So bring them in, guy. Send them our way. And then you know, uh, wouldn't be. Uh, so bad if we stayed at the charts for at least one more week maybe we can make it till like the holidays i don't know eventually it's gonna break right it won't last forever and i'm bracing myself but in the meantime thank you everybody and guy i'm sorry not really but everybody let's beat him again let's do it one more time let's do it one just one just more time one, one, one more time, time. <laughs> okay so before we get to the sue stuff i wanted to give everyone a quick update on my graphene os journey this is still probably one of the things i'm most excited about in my personal life i'm tinkering with it all the time still Absolutely silly and but yet elated to say that the stupid MagSafe case I got for my Pixel 7 Pro has all the stupid little MagSafe magnets in there. Works so well with all my stuff. I It was basically all my car mounts work really well, which is nice because the Pixel 7 has low power buttons. Or I mean, I'm sorry, volume buttons. So a lot of car mounts grab that. I'm just trying to grab right there. Yeah. Okay. So to be able to just use the magnets with nothing on the edges is so great. But also, ridiculous, Apple's stupid, doesn't really work that great, overpriced, portable, magnetic, additional battery that you can snap onto the back of a MagSafe iPhone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Works with the Pixel 7. Is that right? So I can walk around with their stupid, overpriced <laughs> battery that I, that, and I can that snap. That you've already paid for. Yeah, and I can snap it on the back of my Pixel and charge my Pixel. I mean, there's... There's something kind of awesome about that. you can, that. like, bring one and then uh, the lady can use it or you could use it depending on... Yeah, I'm I'm tempted. I'm tempted to see if I could get her on a Pixel. That's something I'm a little concerned about, I have to say. I've been thinking more about the family adoption as I use this. The other area that Apple has them is the Apple Arcade. Because we have this monthly Apple One subscription for the whole family. And it's a ridiculously good value because they all get access to the arcade. And there's the Sasquatch game in there, Sneaky Sasquatch. And my kids call it Squanchin'. And they all squanch. And they do, like, holiday squanch updates. Sure. And so they've just done a holiday. Like a cute theme maybe on the squanch? Okay. Well, now you get to become a mayor. The the Sasquatch used to become a mayor of the town. And so it's like. As it it should be. It's about time. It's a big deal. And, uh, you know, the gaming experience in general is better on the iOS devices. They're just better gaming devices. And so that's tricky. So you, you add the iMessage ecosystem, which is strong in their social group. You add in FaceTime and then you add in Apple Arcade. That's rough. Oh, and and like my wife has an Apple Watch, right? So that's just, I don't know. I'm becoming a little bit disenfranchised about my ability to switch them in the future. Although I think it could be possible if I had to. Yeah. But I am, I keep getting positive notes from the audience about how they were able to set up their iPhones and use their iPhones with NextCloud and stop using uh, Apple. In fact, um, we got a couple of notes into the show about it. It's a good point, right? Like uh, you can have a lot of, middle ground you can still sort of use if you switch over for you know matrix for family stuff sure maybe they iMessage with their friends still but it, yeah. it's less. your chat's better and yeah 
And I think having a Nextcloud instance still remains one of the best moves I did before I switched to Graphene OS because the Nextcloud stuff remains the piping and glue I use to kind of get all this together. This sounds this sounds bad, but I'm uh you saying that? I'm now really surprised that I have not really heard you complaining about next. You've been dramatically scaled up your use of it, and I have not heard a lot more complaints. Right? You're right. I've gone from using it for basic, I, our hosted one that we use for JB, for like basic file transfer. And now I've, I've deployed my own personal NextCloud on my Odroid, and I'm using it for calendar. I'm using it for photos. I'm using it for files. I'm also now using it for notes and tasks. Oh, I'll talk about that in a second. Okay. And I'm doing it all over TailScale. I'm still doing it only over TailScale, and that's working really well. Because it's like a minimum viable NextCloud instance with two users, and it's not on the internet. Right. Super low key. Mm. That's nice. Right? It's protected by WireGuard for the networking. And so, yeah, I'm using NextCloud Notes, which is a very straightforward. It's not going to be my only note application, but I often just need to capture lists or ideas of, about things. And NextCloud Notes supports Markdown, has some basic functionality, has some decent search. It's available on F-Droid. And as the name implies, it syncs with NextCloud. That actually sounds surprisingly decent. But, you know, just you just want to capture some stuff or look at stuff. You can clean it up on a desktop later maybe if you want. Well, that's just it, Wes. You nailed it. So that was the moment for me where I was like, oh, this works great. This today, I'm, this morning, <clears throat> this morning I wanted to put some notes in the dock for my Graphene OS switch that I've been kind of writing stuff down using that notes app. And I was like, yeah, I could go open it up on my phone. But I opened up my NextCloud folder on my desktop that synced. Went into the notes folder. There's all my text notes. There's all my notes that I've been writing all week. I just opened it right there on the desktop, copied them from the notes <laughs> thing and pasted them into the doc. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. well, job done. So that's been really nice to have access on the desktop computer using that. I know you probably have done something similar for a while, Brent. Uh, yeah, a while is about, I think, four years when I transitioned into trying to use NextCloud for everything. And uh, notes, the application specifically for Android has come a long way in that time. And I feel these days is pretty darn good. And there's a little bit of a hack, Chris, that I wanted to share with you that I think might be useful for you. Now, uh -huh. my NextCloud server has a few users. So that includes some of my more tech-savvy family members. So my brother, for instance, things like that. And uh, I figured out a way that you can share notes or specifically even notes folders. Oh, great. Yeah. The notes app uh, supports subfolders as well, which in the app, I think are called like categories or something like that. But on your you know, desktop OS, if you're doing syncing that way, they're just folders. And I figured out that if you do some sharing of those folders with another NextCloud user on your server, uh, I suppose it might work with Federation as well. That way you can share notes back and forth. So we have things like, you know, grocery lists and things like that, that we share that is sort of collaborative. It's not as strong as the dedicated collaborative editing. So occasionally there's a little hiccup or two if we've got like three users trying to edit the same note at the same time for stuff that's really asynchronous. I find it actually works really well. So that's a neat little trick you might try. So to be clear, you're basically using the NextCloud file level or folder level sharing. And then that folder shows up between both of you. And then the NextCloud notes app just sees it natively. Yeah. Because if you imagine the notes app as just really a alternative interface for the file right, syncing, right. then in that yeah. way, the, it just provides some like, really useful features when you're on the go for your phone and but on the back end it's really just doing a bunch of syncing so you can do some you know next cloud file system level sharing of those folders and they just kind of appear in the notes app it's really handy that is a great tip thank you i will probably use that 
immediately. The other app that I'm using along the same kind of lines is task.org. This is one that was sent into us by a few, and I like it. It's pretty comprehensive. It's an open source to-do list and reminder application, and it syncs with lots of different things. It'll do Google if that's what you want. It'll do Davix or CalDAV or Ooh. whatever you like. So you got a lot of functionality and options there. Of course, you can run it offline. You can set up an Etsy sync if you'd like for it. That's what I heard a few people doing. Or I'm sorry, an ETC. No, no. Uh, I think it's ETE sync is what people told me they're using. ETE. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, of course, I've already got Nextcloud doing file system sync. So I'm just leaning into that as my solution. Huh. This says it used to be Astrid. Okay. You know Astrid what? was a popular cross-platform I, productivity service. I loved Astrid back in the day. Interesting. I did not know that. Good catch. So task.org is uh, the app I've been using for my to-dos and reminders. And that one, I think, is pretty comprehensive. Like notes, I can feel like there's there's absolutely still a role for something like Obsidian or an Evernote type replacement that I haven't found yet. But for my basic just task list and, you know, stuff like that, mm-hmm. task.org and Nextcloud notes are are really kind of doing it for me. So that's my small update. But we have a big, huge update. We have a big, massive update from Mr. Wes Payne. I'm very excited about this. Wes decided, I, you know what? Gotta say, I didn't think you'd go all the way. Wes decided to get the 7 Pro himself. I thought maybe you'd do the 7. I was tempted, but, you know, the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, have you tried it yet already? Only only a tiny bit. You wanna break it out? You got the box over there? You wanna... You brought the box for the full experience. It's surprisingly small. For it a big is. phone, it comes in a really small box, you know. Oh, yeah, that's still freshly in there. Oh, so you didn't, in other words, you didn't get too hooked on the default I, Google no, sauce. No, I haven't set it up at all, actually. Good, good. That's, I think, the best approach. You know, you get too dependent on those Google-only features. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I think the biggest thing you're going to miss when you uh, don't use the like the Google sauce yeah. is the uh, like oh hello team pixel you're gonna miss like the ability to invoke the Google assistant with your voice I, perhaps I've been doing that a little more than I probably should so yeah. it's both a good thing and it will be an adjustment you, you actually can install the assistant and sandbox it but you'll never be able to get the remote voice activation to work that's they graphene just draws the line there oh yeah this is uh this is big it's that's pretty beautiful. though oh the that's the green right or whatever they call green it. and gold yeah hazel I think that I got Mine looks boring now compared to yours. That's really nice. That looks good with the with the uh, silver metal around the edges too. Yeah, I like it. I That's was a good looking how phone. It, how it look, but I'm sold. It feels nice in the hand. It's big. I'm gonna have to get. I've never had a phone this big, so that was I was a little unsure. Yeah, it'll be an adjustment. Yeah, but the just, screen is so nice. It's just big enough to make my hands hurt if I hold it for about an hour. But um, you know what? I love it for video. I love it for content. I love it for filming. The big screen's so great for that stuff. So it's been worth it. Well, congrats. So after the show, after we're done recording, while we're figuring out our schedule, we're going to uh, graphene OS that thing, right? Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Why not, right? Yeah, I've, I've not signed in. I've not really, I'm not sure I'm using this, the stock Android on my current Pixel 3. Yeah, but yeah so you're familiar with it. I'm ready for a new era. Yeah, I think you're going to love it. And you know, it's such a performance upgrade from your Pixel 3. It's a huge, it's a huge upgrade. And uh, graphene OS has been really solid and reliable. I've had at least, and I mean at least, maybe more, but at least three updates that have just automatically downloaded in the background. I got a little notification telling me to reboot. Um, I think I think the last one that I got, they say, is their largest release since their initial Android 13 release in August. It's a 
upgrade to their first quarterly release of Android 13 with a massive amount of improvements. They say the release took a ton of work. It did take a little while to update after the reboot, but smooth as butter. Absolutely no problems in at least three over-the-air updates with Graphene OS. That's what I want to hear. That, there was a time, Wes, when that kind of stuff just didn't work, you know? And it's solid now. Linode.com slash unplugged. That's where you go to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out fast and reliable cloud hosting. And I tell you about Linode. So I thought maybe I'd let the AI tell you about Linode. (laughs) The Xorg sent this into the show. This is a chat GPT ad read for me. Let's see how it does. I actually haven't read the whole thing, so (laughs) we'll find out together. Uh, Chat GPT's version of my pitch is, quote, Linode is the real deal, fam. Our sick servers and top-notch customer support and squad will have your website or app running like a well-oiled machine. Plus, our platform is user-friendly AF, so even if you're not a tech wizard, you can easily set up and manage your stuff. Our prices are totally affordable, and our plans are flexible AF. Join us today and experience the power of Linode. Hashtag Linode rocks. That's not bad. Chat GPT. You know, you used AF twice, so I dock you for that. I think you need to be more creative. But I like that uh, you managed to work in FAM and six servers. I got to incorporate that. That's uh, And it is top-notch customer support. They have the unique arrangement because of the way Linode was built, because of the way Linode was structured, because of the, honestly, because they just had to compete. They're structured in a way where they just have a real large support department with real humans that answer the phone 365 and take care of your problem, right? Where all of the other large hyperscalers are very much incentivized to reduce the human costs there. But Linode's had to compete on the quality of the product. That's why they really are the best out there. And they're 30 to 50% cheaper than the hyperscalers that want to lock you in for years and to see into these crazy esoteric systems. So go try out Linode. It really is fast. It's reliable. It's how we host everything. When we, when we knew it was time to uh, build our new website, we didn't like, like have a big debate. You know, We looked at some of our testing that we've done. We looked at the reliability we've had with what we've hosted. We looked at the performance that we can get on a system that we need that matches our cost performance requirements. And Linode was obvious. And then when you combine the fact that they've been around for nearly 19 years and they're rock solid, like that kind of long-term view, that's how I want to take on my infrastructure, right? I don't want to be moving my server every few years or, I mean, some of these really cheap ones is every few months. And, And meanwhile, Linode manages to maintain great pricing, great support, and great feature set. And they have 11 data centers around the world with a dozen more coming online soon. So go try it out and support the show. Go load something, go learn something. Go try something. Heck, go break something, right? It's a great opportunity to try that. And you can support the show. Linode.com slash unplugged. That's Linode.com slash unplugged. Well, as you know, it's been, what, Chris, you said almost a year? And I checked while we were uh, talking there. November 2021, so a little bit over a year since we last tried Tumbleweed specifically, OpenSUSE's Tumbleweed. And that's this week I listened to that episode. It's an excellent episode. So I think if anyone <laughs> wants to revisit sort of my initial excitement about trying out Tumbleweed, go have a listen. It was also the era where we had just learned what SteamOS was going to be like with some of the immutability. So it was a really fun episode. I would totally suggest someone, uh, if, if you're interested, go have another listen. It's a good background to this conversation. 
I think all three of us did a re-listen of episode 432 yeah. uh, in preparation of this episode. And you can really hear the groundwork of our interest in the immutable stuff really kicking off in this one. But also, Brent, you really seemed at home with Open Seuss in that episode. That's, I mean, you genuinely yeah. sounded happy with Open Seuss in that episode. Yeah, I, I was reflecting on the like excitement in my voice the whole time. And I was like, oh, I haven't actually felt that for a while. I know this year I've had some struggles, uh, some with plasma, some with, you know, some of the other distributions that we've been trying. And so I was like, oh, this time around, am I going to feel that same excitement? And I got to say I have. So I think it's uh -huh. a good sign. It's a good sign, at least to start with. Yes. You know, your excitement around OpenSUSE in that episode, at least, I'll see if it remains the same today, reminded me of how I'm feeling about NixOS. Like, you were just, like, genuinely, like, I've found my people. You know, I'm one amongst the lizards. And then we kind of took a path away. And we were going to deploy it on all of our servers and all of that. But our path down discovering Silverblue and Endless and NixOS and OpenSUSE Immutable, like, all of that really was our focus for a bit. And I, I feel I feel like it that path re-energized how I feel about Linux, just completely made me super excited about Nix OS and building my systems again. And I've moved my personal systems over to that. And now here we are back. And I feel like revisiting OpenSUSE, I'm a little conflicted. I liked it a lot too. I liked it enough where I'm thinking maybe I'm keeping an OpenSUSE system around. Maybe this is what I'm going to put on Dylan's laptop in the future. I really was impressed by it because a year later, after looking at Seuss, because I took it just, you know, took a different direction for a while, I found a distribution that's improved in that time. And just by doubling down on things they were already doing well and just building out on that effect, like, like, uh, the packages are, there's even more selection now. The build service is still going, still great stuff in there. There's tooling that we'll talk about to help harness that that's better than ever. Um, and then on top of that, you know, like they're still tooling away at ButterFS. The the partitioning stuff is still really smart. Like all of those things still really impressed me. Wes, what was your like first like initial like reaction to using SUSE again? Positive, troubled? How did that go? Oh no, I've been actually having a great time. I like being on a modern rolling distro. So you tumble. You oh yeah, I'm on, well. I'm on tumbleweed over here. Just we you all, know, regular. Right, you did tumbleweed as well, right? We all three did tumbleweed. How could you not? We got so many uh, listeners write in and suggested that that was the way to go. Yeah, I considered Leap, looked at it a little bit, but yeah, I think I I'm going to download it. Yeah, but yeah, same. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Continue. No, it's nice. I mean, Plasma is really shining. It's nice to be on both a modern and curated Plasma that I I like. You know, I don't have to tweak it really that far to get like a very usable workflow. I don't normally have it in this sort of like Windowsy bar at the bottom, but I don't. That's a workflow I'm familiar with, so I don't feel the need to like super adjusted yeah you can just make it work immediately yeah i'm also consistently impressed well we chatted a little bit about the the, the deinstaller work that's happening in the future right but just their existing installer is already it's so nice it feels so sophisticated like did you guys uh disable all them you know kernel mitigations because yeah. i forget to do that on a lot yeah. of systems but i sure have them off here i turn the firewall off too and mm -hmm. i turn ssh on and i appreciate that that stuff is the opposite and the, but it's really easy you just click it. Deinstaller, just a quick mention, is their new installer that is really coming along. And we did a review of it in the most recent Linux Action News, just as an aside. Sorry, go ahead. And it's obviously different than NixOS, but, and I have complicated feelings about it, but the the level of sort of sophistication and hooks that Yast has into the system, 
I think addresses similar needs. Like it, you know, it gives you an interface of control that on other Linuxes you you have, of course, but you kind of you're you feel like you're hodgepodging through a whole bunch of different files. Yeah, I think a good example of that is um, I wanted to turn off the splash for boot. Yeah, it's really nice to just be able to go into Yast and just delete the you know splash stuff in my bootloader options and hit update, and it just takes care of all of the bootloader configuration stuff for me. I have mixed feelings on Yas still, but I do appreciate that aspect of it. Yeah, I think uh, also the installer, I, I tried the network installer and the the full download regular. The network installer wanted to download like a new boot image and it, I'm pretty sure it K-exact because it, rest, it restarts, right? Like it didn't, uh, it, it. Is that it, what it's doing? I was wondering what it does. <laughs> it seemed, I'm not sure though. I don't know. Because I was having some bootloader problems at the time and those bootloader problems were preventing me from booting back into its new image. Mm, interesting. So at least on my system, I think it was doing a full rebizzle, but I'm not sure. Well, that was before, like that was before it installed. That was yeah, just yeah. after it got the boot image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that same thing with the network installer. I like the network installer. It's a neat option. Mm-hmm. Ultimately for me, because I was on the Starlink connection in the evening, I just went with the offline installer and that went a lot faster. So it depends on your connection. Yeah, already a solid uh, installation experience. They they certainly know their way around a Grub configuration file. Let me just say that. Like, I appreciate a nice Grub setup, even if I don't usually install Grub on a system I'd, you know, craft for myself, but... It's been really nice. And then, you know, you and I, we've been playing a bit with the the various package installation options. I don't know if you've noticed, but like Modern Discover and Flatpak, I don't hate using it anymore. It's actually, it's not like for no reason way slower than doing it on the command line. (laughs) You get feedback about what steps, parts of the process it's doing. Yes. I haven't installed any Flatpaks on the command line this whole time, and that's a first for me. Interesting. Yeah. I want to talk about uh, some tooling around package management that I think does take Seuss to the next level. But Brent, you you had to, first of all, you had to get out of your current pop install. And then you also took the route of a little bit of Ansible to make all of this work. So tell us about your setup journey for a bit. Well, I think, Chris, you have come to know that I hate setting up a new install. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I like I'm just do it all the time. I'll do it a couple times a night just for fun. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't think it's because I'm well, you'll tell me your opinion. But I was going to say, I don't think it's because I'm bad at it. Maybe I am. Um, but I got reminded this time around coming back to Plasma that I think it's just the plasma allows me to have so many customizations that I'm like, no, 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 no. I want this this way. Oh, no, no. I want this other thing this other way. And um, being on Pop! OS for a while, it reminded me that you just don't have that option for a lot of those customizations. So coming back to Plasma and having a new install, I thought this is a good opportunity for me to take what we've been talking about all year about declarative configurations and try to use some of those concepts for my installs going forward. So I've tried to every time I do an install to do it in such a way that it'll be less painful the next time I do it. So for instance, nice. Yeah. When I got the dev one, if you remember, I did do a bunch of installations via some Ansible. So I was digging my teeth into that and it went fairly well. And I learned a lot of things this time around. I wanted to apply the same concept because I thought, well, I did all that work. I'd love to take advantage of that. Now I had to make some modifications because the Ansible templates that I was working with were app-specific. But our friend Drew, who's an expert at Ansible, just reminded me, hey, you could just like change that little apt word in all of your declarative files there and just switch it to package, and it'll just figure out which package manager's on your system and do everything for you. Sure enough, that was super smooth, and it worked wonderfully. And I got to say, the work I put into crafting some 
Ansible months ago has just totally paid off. So installing most of the applications I needed worked wonderfully. There were one or two that had like some name changes in the package manager, but for the most part, it went super smooth and seemed a lot faster compared to using it with apt. So I'm not sure that's not very scientific, but that's how it felt. I mean, I just, I'm, just, I'm just a zipper fan, you know? Yes. Yes. All right. Let's talk about zipper for a second. Why aren't all package management tools this good? It starts with when it lists the packages that need to be updated, it changes the color of the first letter of each mm. package to green so you can easily scan it and and just it just pulls the information faster your brain can just read it faster and then it displays results super intelligently as it's installing and then when it's done and you guys know I I sent you guys a screenshot I was impressed by this is it's like hey when I was installing a package had a notification for you but since that was like a thousand lines up I went ahead and saved all of the packaged installation notifications for you. <laughs> and I'll just print them here at the very end of everything. And so this package wanted you to know this and this package wanted you to know that. And I just sat there like, that's so brilliant. You can tell that uh, there's, you know, there's been a lot of tweaks and tunes and customizations and like stuff figured out by a lot of active administrators mm -hmm. out there who've wanted a system that works really well. And to Brent's point, it's fast too. It is fast. Yeah. Uh, Chris, to, to echo what you're saying, I ran into an issue with one of my repositories that I guess had right. a signing issue with it. Mm -hmm. I think it's since just solved itself. And I, that's the, that's the rolling way I, I believe, but I found that, you know, I ran into that issue and there was some red text, which was like, oh yeah, something's immediately wrong. You got to pay attention. But it was the descriptions of what went wrong and why that was important and how to solve it and its strong suggestions that I probably shouldn't pay attention to in or probably shouldn't install. Yeah. This Imagine uh, if Linus had gotten a good clear prompt like that when they were reviewing Linux on their, you know, clown show and then he would have maybe seen maybe he would have paid 2 seconds of attention to the command output and wouldn't have broke borked his whole system, right? That's a great point. Who knows? Uh, NorCalGeek in the uh, Matrix chat says there's also the ability to detect the fastest mirror and use that one to do a little testing. Huh. That's that's really Always nice. appreciated, right? But while we're in the package corner here for a moment, we got a couple of suggestions on some tooling from the audience that takes the SUS packaging, in my opinion, to arch levels. You know, or in that range, right? And um, one of them is ZIP, Z-Y-P. And the other one, was it OBI? Uh, OPI. OPI, right. I wanted it to be OBI, but it's OPI. And uh, those... You can always set up an alias, my friend. Those are essentially like what? A front end to the build service, a front end to the actual package repos, and uh, a front end to FlatHub, I think. And so you can search across all three of those resources, and the build service is a significant resource, so it's FlatHub, obviously, and get your app. So say you want Slack or Telegram, and Wes, you were pointing out, this is great for apps like VS Code, where maybe you're totally fine with a flat pack for some stuff, but VS Code, it's pretty nice to have that natively installed. Yeah, you know, I might be setting up a bunch of like runtimes or other custom tooling I want VS Code to access. And if it's like my trusted editor, I probably want it touching all the bits of my file systems anyway. So for the stuff that doesn't fit in Flatpak, it's nice if you have easy access to like modern up-to-date stuff, which I mean, you get on, like you say, like a system like Arch, but can sometimes be a pain on uh, other distributions. Yeah. 
And Brent, I like your idea about applying Ansible to get some of those Nix-like benefits to SUSE. And so that's great to hear that worked. I know not everything worked, so that's what we're going to touch on next. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. Go there right now to get started for free as an individual or a free trial of the Teams plan, too, which is very powerful and integrates slick into your system. Bitwarden is the community's choice for managing your secrets, your sensitive info, things like your passwords, your two-factor codes, your long authentication strings. I have some apps that basically have like passphrases or a series of like letters and numbers that I need to keep track of. Bitwarden is great for all of that. And Bitwarden is open source. It's trusted by millions of individuals, teams, and organizations in the community. It's what Wes and I use to manage our passwords. Wes adopted it just a little bit before I did. I've been a happy user, though, for a couple of years. And, you know, one of the things that I like about Bitwarden is they just have been improving the product. They started with something that's really safe, secure, and obvious. Local encryption for your password vault that automatically fills into websites and apps. So that way you can use secure passwords across your websites your applications, your mobile devices. But then they built on top of that, right? So now they have username generator and they also have email generator too, which works with a growing list of email relay providers. So you can have a unique username, a unique email address, and a unique password for every site, service, and app that you use. That's probably one of the number one things you can do online. And Bitward just keeps rolling out features like password protected and encrypted export. DuckDuckGo integration for email alias. And I've mentioned this before, but I know it really matters to you guys. Fastmail alias generation. If you use Fastmail today, and I know a lot of you do, they've, they're not, that's just built in now. And you can generate a Fastmail alias along with a unique username, along with a unique password. It's so great. They just keep making it better. And it's probably just beyond anything else. The tool I need to just make this possible. I reloaded a machine a couple of times this week to try out OpenSUSE. You know, Bitwarden as a Flatpak makes that process so simple. And with OpenSUSE, Flatpak supports built in already. So I just Flatpak install the Bitwarden app. Then I start logging into my apps. I log into my web browser. And I'm just pretty much within 10 minutes, I'm up and running on everything. It really makes that process smooth and secure. I just love it. I think you will too. And if you know somebody out there that could or maybe it's a team, if you know a team, too, that could really just do a little bit better at this, send them to bitwarden.com slash Linux as well. Go try it out. Support the show. You're going to love it. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. I've got to admit, I'm pretty curious. Brent's been uh, trapped, I suppose, in the GTK world for a while now. And I know I'm personally really enjoying this like fresh modern plasma. What do you think about it, Brent? I really enjoyed it. And then I was like, geez, how, how fresh is this? I'm seeing all sorts of new features. And so I noticed this, uh, at least on my system, 5.26.4, which feels pretty darn fresh. And I have to say, Plasma itself, this is probably my best Plasma experience of the year. I'm Wow. And that's no small thing. You know I've been struggling on various distributions with their Plasma installations. And this one's been so far really, 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 really good. I'm very relieved to hear that. I I was beginning to worry that maybe new plasma wasn't going to work out so well for you and that we needed to kind of go back in time and that was going to be trickier and trickier to pull off. You know, you do that too much and you end up running XFCE. So you got to be careful. <laughs> but I'm glad to hear that the freshest and latest because that is basically pretty close to what you're going to get on any modern distro the, to the absolute freshest. I mean, that's great. 526.4, yes. 
and they've been such solid releases too. So I'm I've been really happy with them. I know I know you were having some trouble, so I'm just really relieved to hear that. It is nice, but I know there was some stuff that that wasn't. You know, I know we all had our run-ins with Yast and things like that. So okay, let's focus on that for just a bit. We gotta gotta talk about that too. You know, my first like couple hours using OpenSUSE, I was reflecting on how. You both joke that I keep finding bugs in absolutely everything, and I hadn't found really anything significant. Well, okay, actually, that's not quite true. I also, Wes, tried the net installer, and that worked fine for me, except there was this weird issue where I ran into where it had you configuring the network. For some reason, the 5 gigahertz network configuration just wouldn't work at all. Mm, yeah. Despite a known, you know, known good network, known good password. And those being identical to my 2.5 gigahertz network, that worked perfectly fine. So that seems like a little trip up. So if someone's having a hard time with that, that's a little tip. I, I couldn't quite decide if I should be impressed that the net installer, for as tiny as it does, has like wireless support yeah. at all. Yeah. Or like be like, well, it was a little, it was like kind of the bare minimum. Right, because you, know, like you have you to were, like manually type the SSID in. Yeah. There's no like yeah. menu that auto scans. Yeah. So if like, if so, if, wire, if doing it wirelessly is really important and yeah. you can spare the bandwidth, Right. Do the full one. Yeah, but it is nice. It's an NCURSES interface, at least. Yeah. And, you know, it asks for the SSID and then it asks for the password or if it has a password. And then it drops to the command line again. And I'm always surprised at how long it seems to get to take to get a DHCP IP. Like in, in my world, that happens instantaneously, but it sits there for like a long time. And you're like, is it going to work? And then it finally goes. And I definitely thought it was me. So I tried it about five times, you know, with rebooting and trying yeah. it again and like reading because you have to input the SSID, you know, manually and, and the passwords. So I, so I read it like four or five times. I was like, no, this is correct. It's just not working. Yeah. <laughs> I eventually just downloaded the entire image and scrapped the net installer. <laughs> That's what I did too. You know, I had to keep downloading the same stuff over and over. So I was like, no, 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 I'm just going to download this once. I thought this was going to be the way to go. But so then the install went great. And uh, I did run into an issue of, because I had pop installed on this computer, it had defaulted to the pop UEFI entry. So on my very first boot after install, it just couldn't boot the system. And that was an unfortunate sort of user experience. I recognized the issue and got some help from one of our listeners, Team Linux 01, who said, oh yeah, just use G-Disk, uh, it's a Z option, and just like scrap all of your GPT data on that disk. And that totally worked. And then it worked perfectly fine. So a little bit of a hiccup there, but it was pretty easy to get past it. Plus you get that fun feeling of, uh, you know, really, really wiping your disk. <laughs> yeah, it's a real clean start. <laughs> I hesitated, and I don't know why, because I had already cleared everything off one time. So I don't Anyways... Yeah, I, I OpenSUSE is the only distro I've had an issue on my Dev One where it updates the UEFI stuff on my laptop, but the laptop's still booting from the last OS's in, in, mm -hmm. uh, entry as well. And then I have to hit the, um, you know, like choose boot options F9 on the Dev One and select the second entry, which looks almost identical to the first entry, and then that loads the SUSE bootloader and. I imagine that's probably something Yas can help me solve, but I just haven't needed to yet because I don't reboot too often. But it's probably something I'll I'll try to get around to fixing. <laughs> it's it's almost like a security feature in a way, you know, like I'm Biff and you got to know just how to start my car. That's right. It's like that's how it works <laughs> with my laptop. There were some other 
things that I ran into, I think are fairly minor. Uh, one of them was I installed GNOME boxes because I have a bunch of VMs from, you know, that GNOME install that I have. And that's been a great application for me, super simple to use. It seems when I launch it from the menu, it just sort of fails, gives a launching GNOME boxes failed little notification. Uh, and it's a probably a problem that Wes can help me with, but it seems that uh, GNOME boxes didn't provide a .service file, or at least that's the notification in the error message. So I got to dig into that one a little bit. It didn't mm. prevent me from using GNOME boxes because, you know, terminals are amazing. And I could just boot it from the terminal and everything worked fine. It's a small little thing. I think it's something worth noting. Maybe there's a, you know, a little bug issue that I could provide to the developers just to have a look at that one. I'm sure it's an easy fix. Also notice KDE Connect isn't working for me. So I don't know if you, each of you had a chance to try that. I actually am not a big KDE Connect user. I was early on, but I generally have tried to solve it through syncing. And I don't want my phone notifications on my desktop. So I just have opted out. I hardly want them on my phone. But now, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but now that I'm now that I'm an Android user again, guys, you know, I don't know if you knew that, by the way. But uh, I kind of could and should. I feel like I should try it's it. It's been a while since I've used it, like, in any yeah. meaningful way. Yeah. I use it quite a bit for media controls. My brother's got a laptop running his TV, and we use it constantly to do, like, from the couch navigation on the computer. And that's been great. But also just, you know, when I'm in the kitchen and I want to skip to the next song or something, that's been working. Because you're playing the content from the computer, but you're controlling it with the phone or yeah. vice versa? Vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. It, it works great for that little stuff, I, I find. Yeah, I did get a little reminder uh, today as we were setting up for the stream that, you know, like you're in a, a different little branch of the uh, the Linux tree. Yes. And so I was getting the the software we use to control and talk to the mixer, which just, you know, run, they have a Linux app. Of course, it expects some uh, libcurl, but com compiled with GNU TLS. Uh-huh. Now some... You know, just sim linking to uh, my regular libcurl, which was already installed, seems to be working just fine. Uh, and I suppose I'm kind of used to like the NixOS world of maybe you're using use Steam Run or you know something, yeah. something like that to like yeah. make things happy about various yeah. libraries. But it is yeah. a funny. It, it seems to be working just fine, but not too many of those actually. I've always run into that with Zeus. Just I mean, and I, when I say always, I mean for like twelve years. Like just like thirteen years of experience. Like I, I, I have always run into that. Just little weird things and it's never been a big deal. But and it just happens. And admittedly, like me downloading rando Linux executables from the internet is A, not something I do a lot, and B not a great pattern in general. So uh that it doesn't just immediately work, I think could be uh, easily forgiven. Crashmaster also suggested that we check out Tumbleweed CLI and and TW ups. Oh. Yeah, a couple of tools. More fun things to play yep, with. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to check that out after the show. I, I'm really feeling pretty good about Tumbleweed for as the family OS, potentially, with Plasma. Because, again, I think Plasma doesn't get a lot of love in other distros where it gets some love here. It's a good experience. And I think Plasma also lends itself well to a rolling distro because it handles those settings uh, rolling changes pretty well, too. I just want to quickly mention Crashmaster wrote that to us last year. And we didn't quite touch on it, but somehow I kept this. I had a little open SUSE note and I had that tucked away in there. So Crashmaster, a year later, thanks for all the tips. Ah, that's great. Aw. Yeah, I, I noticed in general even more, I would say, passion for open SUSE from our audience than when we did this a year ago. I would say the signal is even stronger this time. Like we started talking about it on the show and it was almost to overwhelming levels. You know, like it was a lot. It was a lot. Strong signal. 
Are you seeing any like lizard meddling in our tuxies this year? I don't know. I haven't checked. The timing's right, though. It is. Those <laughs> lizards. I don't know, man. Tuxies.party. But I don't know. Well, Brent, so are you sticking? Are you sticking with it? Is this uh, is this your new home? Have we found the uh, the forever distro for Brent? Well, I think as a conclusion, we can at least say I am suffering less <laughs> and I'm excited. You know, I was playing with ButterFS snapshotting and sending and receiving, which is very exciting. And as you know, I was excited to have those rollback features as well. So that feeling is still there from a year ago. And uh, I've been playing with some dot file managers and stuff too. So I, I think it might be here to stay. And I got to say, it's nice to be back on Plasma. We should we should get him to try a, a rollback. Have you tried a rollback yet? Mm, that could be fun. I almost did this morning, and then I thought it's show day. I probably shouldn't do the Chris thing. <laughs> I don't roll back. I roll forward on the show day. <laughs> no, you know, I think you ought to stick with it because there might be a, a spokesperson role here for you because I think you nailed it there. Open Seuss. suffer a little less. And now it is time for the boost. Deleted boosts in with a thousand sats, kicking off the Never Have I Ever series. For my Never Have I Ever, Never Have I Ever installed Arch. Okay, that's a brave thing to admit in in the crowd, and I bet that a lot of people have. I think we should keep this going. Send your confessions into us, and uh, we will uh, absolve you of them. You guys have a Never Have I Ever that's on the top of your mind for Linux? I've got two of them. Okay. Go for it, Brent. Here's one. I'll just jump on this one. Never have I ever installed proper Arch. Oh, okay. Whoa. As you both know, I lived on Entergos for a long time and really loved it until I broke everything. But also to add to that, never have I ever installed Gentoo from scratch. Yeah, it's been a while, but I have. I am not trying to be this guy, but I really can't think of anything. I'm struggling here. <laughs> we have some homework to do. Well, maybe people will boost in theirs because I'd like to get this rolling. I think this could be a lot of fun. This could be a good boost. Uh, so let us know if what have you never done? Never have I ever what in Linux? And maybe some of them will be true for us too. I know there must be some, right? There must be something. I'm really racking my head though. I'm like thinking anything with NFS, anything with LDAP. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking like I'm just going through like the list. Um, all right, all right. That's a good one deleted. Good. I, I, we accept your confession and uh, no judgment here. I think it may also be deleted. Deleted. BHH32 boosts in with 3,000 sets. Listening to 475 and Brent's battle with Plasma, I empathized with him. I love Plasma and have been a KDE fan since the early 2000s. However, because I have NVIDIA cards most of the time, I've moved to Genome on everything but my Steam Deck. (laughs) Keep it together, Chris. However, because I have NVIDIA cards most of the time, I've moved to Genome on. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. You just, you just, when you read it, and it's, you know, the way you read it, it's just, it's so funny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absurd. Absurd, I say. I've moved to Genome on everything but my Steam Deck. This is my hook. <laughs> You've broken me. You've broken me, sir. I'm sorry. I'm all right, sorry. All right, reset. Oh, no, I broke my... I was laughing so hard I broke my... Oh, there it goes. Good. All right. So funny. It's so funny. <clears throat> oh, God. However, because I have NVIDIA cards most of the time, I've moved to Genome on everything but my Steam Deck. This is my compromise to continue using Linux because I love Linux. 
and hate the proprietary alternatives. We made it. <laughs> Did we? Is that it? Is that it? Okay. Okay, good. Thank you. I mean, I guess I'm glad to hear, BHH, that you're sticking with Linux. You know, I'm sorry that Plasma can be frustrating. I get that. I mean, it, it's moved a lot. There's a lot to like, but I can see how, you know, yeah. sometimes things break. And I can say with this fresh install that I have here, at least to this date, this has been a great experience compared to the last few months. So I, I would say keep trying. Mm. BHH, Brent wants you to join us on Tumbleweed. How about that? Come on over to the Tumble side. All right, we got a double boost from Curious Carnivore, starting with 10,000 sats. Hey guys, the last live show sounded like it would have been a fun first one to join in. Sundays are a bit crazy for me typically, but one of these days, I'll be there. Don't worry, we'll be here whenever you can make it. We get it. Anyway, on the desktop side of things, I feel similar to Brent. While the exploration and experimentation is what originally led me to look into Linux, what I need at the end of the day is a system that I know I can rely on in a pinch when needed. Yeah, yeah. I think I've taken to uh, being a fancy boy and having two laptops at home now. Mm. Dev One is kind of like the machine I'm playing around with and playing video games on. Mm -hmm. And then I just got the ThinkPad. It's on running NixOS. It's a real basic install. And I generally leave it plugged in or around 80% battery charge. And it's just kind of there if I needed to crack it open and get to work. It's not always the one I go to, but it's nice having like a good, solid, stable system. And then having another one I can tinker with because I am an enthusiast and I do want to play with this stuff sometimes. You need an outlet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got a little more details from uh, Old Curious Carnivore here with 11,000 sats. After going in way over my head with Arch and Nix, I decided to install Ubuntu. Merely because... It's the distro I had heard the most about, and it sounded like it was stable. So far, I've really enjoyed it, though. I feel like I'm missing that experimentation side of things. I thought about virtualization, but wasn't sure if that was a great option. I haven't heard much about it so far within the community. Maybe I'm just not looking in the right places. And maybe I should just buy a second computer? Or maybe, uh, you know, an SBC? There you go. Get the Odroid and tinker with that. I think that's a great machine for that sort of project. And it's not a ton of money. It's you know not going to break the bank. There's also, you know, you can always um, dual boot if you're comfortable with that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Sure, if you go really hard on the experimentation, maybe uh, you could break your bootloader, but just keep a recovery CD or USB CD. What? Do you even have a CD drive? One of those recovery USBs around and probably be just fine. And you know what? Nothing wrong with a VM for experimentation, too. Mm -hmm. We should be proud. Linux virtualizes just great these days. Yeah. Night of the old code booze in with a row of ducks. Longtime listener, first time booster. The pronunciation debate is hilarious. We have a big issue in the industry. How does one reconcile pseudo as sudo and jif as jif? If it's super user do, then it's graphics interchange format. Gif, no? Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's sound logic. It is It is a funny thing. And I know it's got to be bugging some people that we've talked about it because people get really worked up about this kind of stuff. But language is a funny thing, as humans do. So far, I don't think we've perfected it. Martin de Beurre. Martin de Beurre. De Beurre. Martin de Beurre boosts in with 22,000 sats. This old duck still got it. Hi, Chris West and Brent. About OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, I heard your story about not updating for a year. 
what I've done is I've separated out my root directory with ButterFS, my home directory, usually XFS or X extended four. Mm-hmm. I wonder why. Uh, and my swap and my EFI boot partitions. So, so he separates all those out is what he's saying. And then he goes on to say, if you can't get the update to work, which I actually haven't experienced yet, you could just install OpenSUSE Tumbleweed fresh from the USB installer. You start fresh, but you keep all your settings as they're stored in that separate home directory. If you have any questions, I'm on Fostodont at Foss Adventures. I like this idea of separating out the data. And that's one of the things I appreciate about SUS is it actually is more proactive about that than most distros are, most any distro today. And this used to be more of a thing back in the day to separate your home out. Some of us maybe even had dedicated hard drives for our home partition. Oh, yeah. You know, um, and I, it's nice that Seuss does that. But I think that's something, Brent, you probably are already doing, I would imagine, different partition for your home directories than for your root partition. I used to do it for this very reason, but then I would always run into the issue of like wanting the space that was on the other partition for a particular reason, especially when SSDs were, you know, much smaller for the price these days, maybe less of an issue. Uh, but I will say I did appreciate, and I it stalled me for a moment that that option was so easy in the OpenSUSE installer. It was just a checkbox that said, would you like us to make a separate home partition for you? And I decided, I actually checked the box and I sat there thinking a bit and I thought, well, actually, I think I could do this with ButterFS snapshots instead. I could just have set up the home partition to be its own subvolume and then just kind of do it that way instead. Yeah, it looks like by default I get I got var, user local, serve, root, opt, home, and uh, some some boot grub stuff here, all as uh, ButterFS subvolumes just out of the box. Well, there you go. It's done for me already. Yeah, so both Fedora and OpenSUSE do this, where the home is a separate subvolume so that you can reinstall while keeping your home data while it's not as easy to find it to uh, as easy to trigger in anaconda you you can totally do it both yast and anaconda support nuke and paving your root subvolume and basically your os volumes while preserving your user data volume it's it's just um in both installers it's not quite as exposed as it should be um yast makes it a little easier i think they have a checkbox if you go into the advanced settings of like don't don't wipe my home sub volume when I'm reinstalling, but uh, but you can just go into the partitioner and say wipe everything, but leave the home sub volume alone. Create a new root sub volume, and then install again. Like I do this pretty often. It actually was the uh, one of the earliest reasons for me to use ButterFS on my Fedora machines was because then I didn't have to worry about space contention, which is a common problem when you have a separate partition entirely for home. And I can still have this flexibility. And I used to use it a lot, especially when I was doing my early Plasma Wayland development a couple of years ago where I had to nuke and pave over and over again. I was trying different things. Being able to keep my home directory around was super useful and very handy. Neil coming in hot with the real-time follow-up. That's great. Bearded Tech boosted in with 2,222 sats, a row of ducks. A vote for OpenZooza Tumbleweed, but... You don't have to update daily. Okay, that's that's a good tip because I was feeling like well, I'd have to do the Arch thing again. I've been using Tumbleweed as my daily driver since the day you did a 180 with Nix. I now run, run Rockstar, a Leap-based NAS, a Tumbleweed transactional server running services in containers, Tumbleweed on WSL for fun while I'm gaming on Windows, and Tumbleweed on my laptop. And all this from a guy who has a Debian tattoo. Gecko is coming to my right shoulder next month. 
That's oh, amazing. wow. That's great, Bearded Tech. Bearded Tech's up in the quiet listening in the mumble. We see you. Yeah, we see you. Uh, thank you for the boost. <laughs> Bearded Tech also uh, had a boost that we read earlier in the pre-show because it was uh, about using no, uh, no Lookster, I think it is, to set up a channel with us, which was super neat. And so he has uh, a channel now coming into JB, which is uh, pretty fancy. Okay, so what? Um, so Brentley, you're off the hook. You don't have to update daily. I, I'm not going to. I think I'm probably going to do about, you know, on average, I'll probably do once a week. And then if I end up putting on Dylan's machine, I imagine once a month, maybe a couple times a month. Mm-hmm. And I'm expecting that to be fine. I mean, hey, I waited a whole year once and it was fine. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Just practice using those. Well, I waited a whole year once and then it wasn't fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, That's why we got to practice using those snapshots now. Yeah. Oh, he's got a good point. He's got a good point, Brent. Also, admittedly, I didn't use Zipper on my OpenSUSE systems. I used DNF instead. So that has some differences in solution solving. Don't give Brent any ideas. Dodge boosted in with 47, 47 sats. Lizard Brent would make for a really good mascot. Or since we already have one, maybe some merch? I know I boosted in a couple of weeks ago talking up Sid. Gotta love updates every six-ish hours. But OpenSUSE was my first love back in 2011 when I got sick of Windows during my freshman year. And they really do Plasma well. Seems like you guys might be into something with Lizard Brent. I think we are onto something. Yeah. Lizard Brent could be, uh, well, first of all, he could compete with... uh, the golden dragon for show mascot so we could have a battle it could be a good holiday special <laughs> or you know maybe just a friendly brent what we need is to get stable diffusion to take a brent picture and a lizard picture and make us one morph those together please yes make it so sicilist yes. uh boosted in with some lead sats i'm totally down with the cold storage on mars idea i can totally see this as another archival solution along the lines of s3 glacier AWS already has Snowball and Snowmobile. Why not Comet, which should ship exabytes of high-density data to Mars or to the moon via Blue Origin, perhaps? I could see this happening in the next five to ten years, since data retrieval would be a little harder, not to mention expensive. But this is a permanent archival data anyways, right? Right. I mean, I could really honestly be interested in something like this. If it was reasonable to transmit it, I mean, especially if you're trying to store something for generations, I think about this an odd amount. I think about how the normies out there are totally unprepared for the fact that so many things that they capture digitally are just going to fade away. There's no box of old photos in the attic, right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, I was working on an old laptop for my wife and the logos that she wanted for her business were just on that laptop. Photos like from an, from an old digital camera that she had at that time were just on that laptop, and she doesn't have them anywhere else because it's just there. There isn't really been anything that's set up for that. Yeah, and we kind of just got into this digital digital pictures, digital documents, digital information, digital currencies without really solving our data permanence. And some you know, and, and something like this would be a pretty big step. See, but my question becomes. Why some other celestial body when you could just, like, dig a really big hole or have some kind of underground bunker that you shove this stuff into? Uh, I mean, you know. The the cool factor, probably. There's just the, the aspect of getting it off the Earth, right? So you're, like, you're really backed up, right? I mean, you might not be there to restore it. <laughs> but when the aliens come and, you know, figure out what happened, you know, they'll have access to my photos. I don't or, know. I mean, you know. The LUP, you know, LUP Historical Archive, so they can learn something about the better parts of our society. Right, right. 
mean, somebody's got to tell them about Linux. Somebody has to. True Grints boosts in with 1701 sets. Make it so. Enterprise sets. In regards to your maps and Waze situation, why not do a car phone with graphene and Waze and sign up for a brand new account using Bitwarden's username generator? As you say, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Well, that could be interesting. I mean, I'm wondering if some of the issues I'm having with Waze are because of graphene OS. And I'd also need a data line. So there's that. I mean, even if I tethered it, then this adds a little bit of complexity. Yeah, so um, I checked this week, and I used my iPhone for 12 minutes this week. And um, six of those were Waze, uh-huh. and six of them were the settings. So maybe I was checking something in the settings, which is incredible. You know, it's that's pretty that's, amazing. Yeah, that's a pretty you're, you're doing pretty, good over there. Cold. And the Waze thing that is really still tough. Like there was some bad traffic this weekend, and I fired up Waze because I needed to decide before I got too far down the freeway if I needed to take a back route, and I ended up needing to take a back route. You know, Magic Earth didn't have the accident. It wasn't had that quite so real time. Yeah. And Waze, as soon as I pulled it up, it had it. And so that's, you know, there's that. So that's been tricky for me. And I'm not sure if I, I think I'd have to have a non-graphing device or maybe it's just, you know, it's hard to say. Maybe Waze is just a little crappy on the Pixel 7. Could be that too. Is anything changing since they were like merging teams, right? Isn't there some update it's pretty, there? It's pretty new, but maybe, maybe there'll be some updates. I'll check it out from time or to time. Like, Will Waze be sunset and you can just use Google Maps? Does that work a little better on graphing? Yes. But then I'm using Google Maps. You know, so it's like, yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. So I'm not totally sure yet, True Grits. But I appreciate the suggestion. I'm not totally opposed to the car phone idea. Well, True Grits boosts continue with 1702. Sads. Make it so. I'm sad to see Patreon go, though I understand why. I haven't used it in a while, having switched to the Jupiter Party subscription a while ago. Thank you. I'm starting to change my mind, though, on the members' feeds being boost-enabled. On one hand, it would be nice to stream sats while I'm listening. But on the other hand, I want to keep this show at the top of the fountain list, and splitting the feeds might cause this one to lower in the rank. That, I'm surprised none of us had thought Some of that. strategic thinking Good right job, there. Good job, True Crits. Yeah. Yeah, and it's true because, like, it's obviously the baller boosts are are really putting us at the top of the charts. But honestly, it's all, it's all of the accumulative boosting, too. It, it all counts. And if we did start to diffuse that across feeds, that would suck. Another way to look at it is we could have two Linux unplugs at the, at the top. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I, I wonder, too, if, if it isn't – because here's the other problem is – not everybody sticks with a new podcast app when they switch. Maybe True. they decide to go back to Podcast Addict or Pocket Cast or whatever, or Antenna Pod or whatever. And so I wonder if the route for the members isn't to point them to something like Albi and then going to the Podcast Index and just boosting from the Podcast Index website. Oh, yeah, okay. Or clicking the lightning bolt on our Podverse player and boosting from there using the web and something like Albi. Because you can pretty easily go from Strike to Albi or Cash App to Albi in a few seconds. And Albi's a good group, you know. Um, so I'm not sure. True Grits, that's a good point. One thing I still want to do for the members, regardless, is get them like a matrix chat room. So they basically have a like a boost bat line into the show. But I'm just trying to think through like the semantics of how I want that to work. If I want a channel per show or just one channel for the members and how we're going to do access. And so, yes, we're still pondering all of that. So there's still things in the works. We will soon have control of our own feed. So we'll be able to lay in some of those other podcasting 2.0 features into the members feed. Even if it isn't boost, it could be transcripts it could be the host information that we can put in there's a lot of other 
aspects of the namespace that we could add for the members. And so we are going to work on that regardless. But something to think about, Grits. Thank you. I have an idea in that regard. I wonder if the podcasting 2.0 feature set could include something like a member's feed. I don't see why that wouldn't be possible in the future. Maybe it already is, and I don't know. True Grits continues, I've created a monster with Genome. And to the community, I say, no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. And uh, that was 1703 sets. And for 1704 in this final round of boosts, in a reply to the after-show discussion last time, Chris, I've been listening for a long time. Sometime shortly after Matt Hartley joined Lass as the main co-host. When you recommend something, I trust it. Bitcoin was an obvious one. I just needed the lightning nudge. You're fantastic oh, at what you do, you don't have and to read you know that. Linux. You don't got to read all that. Stop. I do like Chris Fisher 2024. I was going to say, that, yeah, I could, that part. That, mm-hmm. I could, that, I could, but thank you, True Grits. Uh, you're very, very generous. Josh the Techie boosted in with a thousand sats and said, that's it, guys. That's it. I just purchased a Pixel 4a 5G, and I'm going in. I'm going to look into Calyx OS or Graphene OS as an alternative ROM instead of going stock Android. All right. Looking forward to this experiment of mine, and I'm excited to hear how your iPhone to Graphene OS experience continues to evolve as time goes on. Blake T. Collin boosted in with 12,345 sats. GPSlogger.app has the ability to trust self-signed TLS certs on Android. I use this tool in conjunction with a custom Flask application to create my own quasi-find-my-friends app without Google or Apple. Oh, cool. That is definitely something I need to solve sooner than later. It's bugging me not having that. Um, I'm surprised that didn't come up on the iPhone because I fired up the iPhone a couple of times, but I just was probably pretty quick about it. I try to be quick now that I know I'm tracking my time. Like if I use it, I'm like, just only what I need. And like, even like if somebody messages me, I put the iPhone down and I save, pick it, up, save yep. it for the pixel. <laughs> I pick up the conversation <laughs> on the pixel. I totally do. And it, you know what? Works for me. All right. We got 25,000 sats from Bitcoin Lizard. Uh, he writes, the recent discussion related to Graphene OS and NextCloud has me thinking. I use Graphene myself, but like Chris, my wife and kids cringe at the idea of me taking away their iPhones. Yep. Uh, a step improvement would be not syncing to Apple servers. So is NextCloud a suitable replacement for iCloud photo backup? The photo backup, and I would not necessarily be able to say this on iPhone, so I'd have to test it, but the photo backup on Android has been flawless. It runs in the background really reliably. I would imagine to make that as flawless on iPhone, you'd probably probably want to launch the NextCloud app once every 24 hours or something. Mm-hmm. That's my thinking there. I'm not totally positive. One one thing that might be easier, Lizard, if you've got a Mac in the mix and you're syncing your photos to the Mac, maybe you sync them with their you know backend plumbing, you upload them to NextCloud, and then every so often you go and clear them out of iCloud or something. I don't know. I'd be curious to know if anybody else has better suggestions. Zach Attack comes in with 10,000 sats. Good show. Looking forward to the Graphene OS adventure. Well, thank you, Zach Attack. And then Sir Alex Gates, the podcasting 2.0 consultant, comes in with 10,000 sats. Talking about how I'm running more applications in the background, so I mm. think I might be using more battery life because the Play Services, one of the things it does is coalesces and consolidates all the notification stuff. And it's like one demon in the background instead of six or seven apps. But Alex writes, open TCP connections running in the background by default are normally very efficient. Conversations, like an Android XMPP client, prove this can be done extremely well in a battery-efficient manner. 
The problem is, though, many background socket notification services aren't well optimized, likely because of a lack of user feedback caused by users thinking it can't be improved. I've been researching this exact topic for something I'm working on for Podcasting 2.0. Fascinating. Mm, I would like to know more. George R. Binks comes in with 7,777 sats. Someone should make a Kindle-like phone with an e-ink display. Then we could have Graphene OS all that and call it the Graphene Paper. That would be a good product. I'd try it, yeah. Uh, it would be amazing if the Graphene OS project could get to the point where they could do something like that. I, I think you mean the Giraffine Paper, don't you? <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, and then our last boost, RGH Vidberg, or Vidberg, boosted in with 222 sets, and it is their very first boost. Here's some baby ducks. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Gene Bean, who sent in some Leet sats a couple of times and recommended Backblaze. 412 Linux, who loves the longer shows and Ubuntu Mate. 1024 from Hydraman, who uh, had some DNS issues that we helped solve. Bearded Tech came in with uh, some hot traffic tips this week. So lots of support from Bearded Tech. Nice. The Muso, 2000 sats on asking for man requesting an annual option for Jupiter Party members. Oh, yeah. I will look into that. That is definitely something I should look into. Jupiter Party monthly membership is on sale right now if you use the promo code 2022. Take two bucks off for the lifetime. I think we should also remind listeners that there's a gift option at Jupiter to Party. So don't forget that. Seems kind of timely. And Golden Dragon, the show mascot, came in with a row of ducks saying he recently gave NexOS a try and liked it. If you'd like to send as a boost into that show, go to newpodcastapps.com and upgrade. Go get like Fountain or Podverse. Podverse has a brand new beta out now. Oh, Has beta. CarPlay support. You might have to delete and reinstall the app for this to work. It's, you know, it's very early testing. It hasn't been fully optimized yet. Were they waiting for you to get off the platform? Maybe? I know, right? They're working on they're working on Android Auto next too. But if you'd like to beta test the next Podverse, we'll have a link to that in the show notes and try out CarPlay. There's a lot of great apps if you're ready to switch to a new open source podcasting app. But if you're not, you can also use the web. I mentioned Albi before. You can go to our website and click the lightning bolt on the player, or you can go to Podcast Index and search up the episode and show you on a boost. You don't actually have to switch podcast apps either, but there are a bunch of great apps at newpodcastapps.com. Gentlemen, this is going to bring us towards the end, so all of us are sticking with uh, Tumbleweed for a bit. Tumble um, on, I say. I want to make clear, I think, I'm thinking like there could be a real nice relationship between Tumbleweed on the desktop for me, and I'm still... Very happy with Nix on the server. Oh, yeah. I can't really see changing that anytime soon because it's like a whole new way to Linux for me. But I love the flexibility of Tumbleweed on the desktop, a more traditional setup. You know, I can install and run stuff. Mm -hmm. Very happy with that. It's a nice arrangement, and I could see using it with family, too. So spread a little lizard love this holiday season. Friends with family and friends out there, give them a recommendation. If you'd like more show... Remember, we do this here show live every single Sunday. Jupiter.tubes, where it happens at. Of course, the mumble room is open. Our matrix room's rolling. All of that is on our brand new community-built website at jupiterbroadcasting.com. You heard us mention the new deinstaller. There's a lot of other stuff we talked about in Linux Action News, including some solid kernel corner updates. And the progress on getting Linux working on the Apple Silicon is moving forward. All of that, linuxactionnews.com. If you're missing that, you're missing out on a big chunk of what's going on. Links to what we talked about today, linuxunplugged.com slash 488. Thank you to our members, and thank you to everybody who downloads the show, and we'll see you right back here next Sunday. <laughs> <laughs>